Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. There once was a college physics professor who had just finished a lecture on pendulums. During his presentation, he provided his students with a mathematical proof that an untouched pendulum will always swing in ever-decreasing arcs because of friction and drag. He then asked for a volunteer in the class to demonstrate this fact by standing against a wall with a pendulum bob against his chin and then releasing the bob and allowing the pendulum to swing naturally through its arc. The professor reminded his class that the bob would return almost to, but not quite touching, the chin. Well, no one volunteered. Although the students believed the law of physics, this law of physics is true, they were unwilling to put it to the test. There are many professing Christ followers who claim to believe the facts of the resurrection and other acts of God in the scriptures, but are unwilling to apply them, to apply what they claim to believe to their daily lives. In the scripture passage we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul compliments a local church for not only believing, but acting on their beliefs during a season of suffering. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and pull out the sermon notes in your worship folder so that you can follow along with me. If you forgot your Bible, just raise your hands and one of our ushers can bring one to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And as you turn there, allow me to give you just a quick background on this letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the local church in Thessalonica. It was a strategic church plant in a strategically located Greek city on the northwest corner of the Aegean Sea. Thessalonica is believed to have had a population of around 300,000 people at the time this letter was written. and It was a major commercial center and in desperate need of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 3, the Apostle Paul commends the faith of believers there and explains how it was encouraging him. However, before we wade into the text, we first need to understand what the rest of the Bible says about faith, and I think we need to define what faith is. And so here's uh, just real quick, four truths you may not know about faith from the rest of the New Testament. Uh, The first one on this little list, the first point on this list is that saving faith and living faith are distinct. Saving faith and living faith are distinct. Generally speaking, the Bible talks about faith in two different ways. It mentions saving faith, which is expressed when a lost sinner repents of their sin and trusts in Christ alone for their salvation. Romans 10.9 and other New Testament passages tell us that anyone who believes that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead 
will be saved from the consequences of their sin. The Bible also talks about living faith, which is a daily abiding in Christ that produces a growing intimacy and like-mindedness and obedience to Him. Living faith is supposed to be born out of saving faith. This is the kind of faith we see lived out in the chapters such as Hebrews 11, where ordinary saints lived extraordinary lives for the Lord. Next, uh, the second truth about faith in in the New Testament is that living faith is required to please God. It's required to please God. Contrary to popular belief, only certain Christians will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, when they arrive in eternity. Not everybody's going to hear that. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that only those who live lives that demonstrate a faith that produces obedience to Christ will be found pleasing to Him. Those who lack living faith might still receive salvation, and I think it's questionable, but they won't receive the eternal rewards that were given to those who did. So, in other words, based on Hebrews 11.6, it is possible to live the Christian life and not please the Lord like He would want you to. Next, number three, living faith is remarkable to Jesus. You've heard me say before that Jesus incentivizes or praises things that are worthy, worthwhile to Him, values that He wants to elevate. Just like your boss would give bonuses or compliment things that he wants to see repeated. Well, in the same way, Jesus did this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. This is one of those many passages of scriptures that just causes me to scratch my head and go, What? One way Jesus recognized living faith in Matthew 8, he had an encounter with a Roman centurion that literally left him amazed. So much so that Jesus pointed it out to the Jews because this was the kind of faith He was expecting from them. Nowhere in the four Gospels was Jesus impressed with anybody's family name, education, athletic ability, net worth, position, appearance, or military rank. But one thing that did impress Jesus was faith living faith. So the second thing that makes me scratch my head about faith is is how Jesus was disappointed by the lack of faith in his followers. For example, when he rebuked his disciples in Mark chapter 4 after calming the the storm on the Sea of Galilee, or or in Mark 6 when he went back to his hometown and it says that he, he could not do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. Living faith impressed Jesus, but what I see in those gospel passages I just referenced, the lack of faith seemed to irritate him. And then number four, the fourth truth about faith in the New Testament is that living faith is rewarded by Jesus. Again, he incentivizes things that are important to him. He he wants to motivate us. And so again, in Hebrews 11, 6, We're told that it is impossible to please God without faith, but we're also told He will reward those 
who demonstrate it. Living faith is so impressive to the Lord. He rewards those who exercise it and withholds rewards from those who do not. These rewards can come immediately or they can be delayed until eternity. But he reserves the right to determine which type of award and the timing of it. Thus, our big idea for today is this. The Lord wants to increase your faith and use it to encourage others. The Lord wants to increase your faith and use it to encourage others. Thessalonica is one of my favorite churches, if not my favorite church, to study in the New Testament because one of its distinctives is that it was the only church the Apostle Paul called an example for others to follow. He says that in chapter 1, verse 7. In the previous section of verses, in chapter 2, 14, verses 14, to chapter 3, verse 4, the apostle encourages and celebrates the Thessalonians' perseverance in the midst of intense suffering for the gospel. These are real believers he's writing to in a real church plant, doing real frontline spiritual warfare. So in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul writes that this persecution caused him to dispatch Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith, to go and encourage and check up on them. After receiving a faithful, excuse me, a favorable report from Timothy, the apostle commends the living faith they demonstrated in the midst of such persecution. And so, the text we'll be looking at this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 13. This passage, here's why it's important. If I could just get right to an important point here. It answers the question, why the Lord doesn't give us a comfortable life here on earth? And it answers the question, how God uses suffering for our good and the good of others. With that, if you would, follow along with me as I begin to read in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Paul says, But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy we feel for your sake before our God. Here's the first uh, point on your outline, the first truth that Paul is trying to make, and that is that our living faith encourages others who are struggling. Our living faith encourages others who are struggling, and I might add, who are struggling and you may not know it. You may not know they are struggling. A, a key, a very important phrase that I don't want you to miss is in verse 7 where Paul says, in all our distress and affliction. 
So please, please note, earlier in the chapters I mentioned a minute ago, the apostle talked about the suffering the Thessalonians were enduring. Now, he references the suffering he and his ministry partners were currently enduring. Where he was writing from. It's most likely that Paul was facing, it's, this is a reference to the opposition Paul was facing in Corinth when he was planting a church there. And Acts 18 tells us that. Now, before I go any further, I need to define what Paul means by faith. So here's a biblical definition of faith. Some of you have seen this before. It's always good to review it, and I think it's great to memorize it. Faith is this. It's believing the Word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Faith is believing the Word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. You see, living faith is more than just some generic belief in spiritual things, like we hear so often out in the world. Instead, living faith is rooted in God's Word, as you see in the definition there. Because that's how we learn who God is and what He wants. Living faith is proven by application because failing to apply God's Word means that we don't really believe what it says. And living faith requires doing it regardless of what our emotions are telling us. Because the Lord promises good will come out of doing what He says. Now, if you would look back at verse 7 in the text with me, and let's see how the Thessalonians' living faith encouraged Paul in his suffering. He says in verse 7, We've been comforted through your faith. We've been comforted through your faith. Please don't miss this. It's important to note that Paul does not commend the seating capacity or the size of the worship center, their budget, the number of staff, the number of ministries they offer, or how fancy and trendy their website is. Instead, he commends their faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with those amenities in, in and of themselves. In fact, I've been privileged to serve on staff at some large churches. However, Paul's encouragement here reinforces the fact that health is more important than growth to the Lord. It's not about church size. There are healthy small churches, and there are unhealthy large churches. There are unhealthy small churches and healthy large ones. Just as a man could weigh 250 pounds and be obese, or you could have a man who weighs 250 pounds and is built like an NFL linebacker. Churches can have more or less body fat. And if a church is not willing to obey the Lord or suffer for Him, it doesn't matter how large or small they are. The Lord looks at them and says, you're not healthy. If you would look back at verse 8, another key phrase, it tells us how the faith of the Thessalonians was encouraging and blessing the Apostle Paul over in Corinth. He says, for now... We live. Paul uses a Greek word here that, that paints a picture of someone being revived or given new life again. 
Some translations render this, now we really live. Or you've cheered us up. Or you've given us new life. I think the Apostle Paul was simply saying, man, we really need it. That encouraging report from Timothy about your living faith, because it is really hard over here in Corinth. We're struggling. You see the Thessalonians living faith in the midst of suffering because they were struggling too in Thessalonica, but they kept on, kept on, keeping on. They, they re-energized Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to keep on, keeping on in their difficult ministry assignment. I think verses 6 through 9 are a reminder that even on your darkest days, God can still use you to be a blessing to others if you exercise living faith. I think these verses also are a reminder that even ministers as bold and confident as the Apostle Paul need to be encouraged by the faith of those they minister to because they are human just like you. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Thessalonians to encourage their faith in the midst of suffering, but found his faith encouraged instead. I just have to ask, have you, have you ever considered the reality that others are watching your faith? They're watching your faith in Christ before they decide whether to place their faith in Him. You ever considered that? Or have you considered the possibility the Lord is using your perseverance through pain to encourage others who are also struggling to trust the Lord in their circumstances? They just might not be telling you that. I've noticed over the years through my own seasons of intense suffering that trials can give us a narrow, self-focused perspective on our circumstances. We, we just sort of put blinders on where all we can see is what we're going through. However, this passage reminds me that sometimes our pain and suffering has not been ordained for us, but also for someone else to see us struggle through it. The Lord may want to use your joyful perseverance through chronic health issues to help bring a friend to faith in Christ so they can have living faith when they suffer in a few years. Or your faithfulness in marriage to an ungodly or unsaved spouse may be setting an example for your children that they're going to remember when they grow up and struggle in their marriages. Or your willingness to stand for Christ alone, even if it means having no friends. Maybe the example a younger believer needs to see, so they stop following the world as well. And you just don't know it. You just don't see it. So the Lord, He wants to increase your faith and use it to encourage others. Look back at the text with me in verse 10. Next, Paul says, 
as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So Paul, he mentions earlier in, uh, at the end of chapter 2 how the evil one had prohibited he and his team from coming back to Thessalonica to check up on them. He said, when we're praying, we can still get back to you. We want to come back and see you. But in the meantime, we're, we're praying that the Lord would supply what is lacking in your faith. Here's number two on your outline. Our living faith will always need to grow. It will always need to grow. The word supply used here in verse 10 comes from a Greek word that describes completing or improving the condition of something. Uh, one translation renders it to fill in the gaps in your faith. Paul, Paul had already complimented their faith in chapter 1 and then here again in chapter 3, but here he lovingly reminds them that the development of their faith is never complete. They need to keep growing in living faith. Why? Because our faith will never be completed until we're in eternity. That means we need, we need to realize that the Lord has never had to tell anyone in world history, you know, I appreciate the confidence that you have in me, but you're getting a little carried away. Let's just tone it down a little bit here. Seriously, you might be wondering, as I have at times, why, why can't the Lord just grow our faith in some other way than just suffering and difficulty and trials? Charles Spurgeon addressed this better than I ever could when he wrote the following, It is poor faith that can only trust God when friends are true, and the body is healthy, and the business profitable. But it is true faith that rests in the Lord's faithfulness when friends are gone, the body is ailing, spirits are depressed, and the light of our Father's face is hidden. A faith that can say, in the deepest trouble, though He slay me, I will hope in Him, is a heaven-born faith. He's quoting Job there. See, a faith that grows provides its possessor with peace to replace anxiety, boldness to replace timidity, usefulness to replace worthlessness, and conviction to replace apathy. The Lord wants to increase your faith, and use it to encourage others. Let's look again at the text as I read the last couple of verses here. Verse 11, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Here's number three in your outline. Our living faith prepares us for the Lord's return. It's important to have a growing living faith because the Lord is coming back to evaluate it, among other things. 
Paul closes this section here with what some theologians call a wish prayer. It's him writing a prayer down of what he hopes will come true for his audience. He expresses his desire to see the Thessalonians again and for their faith to continue growing in anticipation of the Lord's return. Uh, I want you to notice the phrase there in verse 13, so that he, meaning the Lord, may establish. It takes living faith to love one another, as he says in verse 12, and it takes living faith to pursue holiness, as he references in verse 13, but the word establish is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word sterizai, which means to strengthen. It's the same English, excuse me, it's the same word we get the English word steroid from. Reminds me of when I was in my 20s and 30s, I used to lift weights in order to help me improve my preaching skills. I mean my basketball skills on the on the court when I played basketball. I know you can you can tell I used to lift weights. You don't need to say that. But in order to help this illustration sink in, I, I brought a picture of what I used to look like a couple of years ago uh, so that you could understand this and want to leave an impression on you. Obviously, Maya didn't marry me for my preaching skills. You can see why she married me. She was interested in other things. But seriously, uh, those who have done weight training know that weight training reveals present strength and builds future strength, depending on the amount of weight used. One universal principle all weightlifters know is that strength can only be increased by overloading the muscles with more weight. Also, most weightlifters have a purpose or goal that fuels their exercise. They may need to get stronger for their job. Let's say they are an EMT or a fireman or a police officer. Or they, they may need to look good for a wedding or uh, the beach summer season at the beach. Or maybe they're preparing for some competition, a marathon or a triathlon. But in a similar sense, our living faith will never grow unless it is overloaded by the weight of trials sent or allowed by the Lord. This is why He has designed an individual fitness faith plan for each of us with the goal of preparing us for His return. The Lord wants us to have strong faith muscles, not weak ones, when He comes back. And one of the most encouraging doctrines in the New Testament is the triumphal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He does come back, He's going to evaluate what we've been doing for Him and then dispense eternal rewards accordingly. For more than 2,000 years of church history, millions of believers have looked forward to the day with great anticipation when the Lord comes back. And we should do the same. So living faith, our living faith prepares us for the Lord's return. Well, how do we apply this? Here are two quick applications that I think we can glean from this text about living faith. 
And here's the first one. Remember that others are watching you as you struggle. Remember that others are watching you as you struggle. If it's an unbeliever watching, they are wanting to see if your faith is real before perhaps they trust Christ. If it's a believer watching, they are wanting to learn from your example how to persevere in the faith. So don't, be, don't, don't feel overwhelmed that you're being watched. I know some of you may be thinking that. Well, I don't want to be watched. I don't want to be an example. Don't make me an example. Therefore, I don't have to be one and I don't have to live up to these expectations. No, I want to tell you it's a good thing you're being watched. Why? Because the Lord is giving you an opportunity, the privilege of impacting someone else's life. So turn that, I don't want to be an example, don't use me. Turn that around and look at the opportunity, the privilege of helping someone else grow their living faith. You see, a Christ follower who exercises a growing dynamic living faith while suffering is a tremendous encouragement to other believers. And your impact, if you do that, will outlive your life here on earth. Next, another application, number two, trust that trials are meant to grow your faith instead of crushing it. Trust that trials are meant to grow your faith instead of crushing it. it it is a common theme in the scriptures, and many saints have written books about it since. That when we suffer, we feel like God's abandoned us. We feel like God is angry with us, or has forsaken us, or is no longer blessing us. But instead of complaining about how sore we are from the weight that's been put on us, we need to do what every seasoned weightlifter does. After a strenuous, strenuous workout, stretch your faith muscles, and then get your faith back into the gym again. You see, if you don't do that, there will always be a wedge in your relationship with the Lord if you continually fight to stay in your comfort zone when He's trying to pull you out of it. So I just have to ask, what faith muscle is the Lord trying to strengthen in you? What area of your faith, your walk with Him, is He, is he putting some, some weight on right now? Saying, we've got to deal with this. You're, you're not strong enough here. You're not living biblically in this area of your life. What is it He's trying to get at? Has He uncovered some part of your faith that's lacking and needs strengthening? If so, embrace that. Grow and learn from it. It's hard, I know, it's hard. But ask Him, Lord, what do, you, what do you want me to learn? What are you trying to teach me here? That is a way to redeem the pain, to redeem the hard work of suffering well. Well, on October 23rd, 1983, Two suicide bombers drove two trucks into the barracks that housed a battalion of United States Marines in Beirut, Lebanon. 241 U.S. soldiers lost their lives that day, 
making it the worst single-day death toll for the Marine Corps since World War II. There's an inspiring story that took place in the days following that horrific attack. Marine Corps Commandant Paul Kelly went to the hospital to visit some of the wounded, hoping to cheer them up. And among those he visited was the severely wounded Corporal Jeffrey Lee Nashton. As Kelly neared him, Nashton struggled to talk but couldn't because of the tubes that were in his throat. Instead, Nashton motioned for a paper and pen. And with it, he wrote a simple note and passed it to the commandant when the commandant arrived at his hospital bedside. Jotted down were just two words, Semper Fi. The Latin motto for the Marines that means always faithful. You see, just like the Apostle Paul, Commandant Paul Kelly wanted to go to the hospital to encourage men who were suffering, but instead found himself encouraged by men who were suffering faithfully. The Lord wants to increase your faith, and He wants to use it to encourage others. Would you join me as we close in prayer? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.